Hello, folks. Welcome to Teachable Moments 32. The Nets world emerges. Why did I decide to shape the story that we did for part four? Why did I decide to shape it into a story instead of just doing what I did the last three episodes? Because the last three episodes gives us a point of reference into the actual facts and figures behind the things that we're going to have to do as men past part five, past 2021, past this pandemic, past all the things that are happening now, because it is going to be a very difficult time for all of us ahead. And one of the things that I decided to do in this particular story is that this would take place just after the pandemic as things somewhat get back to normal, but it will never be fully normal, and the changes that might happen in this particular time. I did this whole concept of the gyroid thing concerning the specialized models during the college portion of the story because it comes into some importance into how they continue to give preference to what women are in certain ways and that certain concepts of how men live their lives still have not been as successful as people thought they were going to be. So basically what it showcases is more issues concerning this particular concept, as it were. I wish that I could have made it a little bit shorter, but I wish that I could have done a little bit more exciting aspects to it, but I did this in four takes. I did one long take. Any mistakes I made, I restarted it. I tried to limit the these types of breaks in the speech. I tried to limit all of the other things as well. I didn't have a script for this. I try to do it off cuff and keep it on the same wavelength of narrative that I tried to give out. I made the ending ambiguous towards the end because that same particular place where he got zeroed out and where he went towards after the man that he sent him the piece of way back when, which is strange because, but I just wanted to give something of the nature of, oh, he just appeared out of nowhere. It's a key. It's a key to how certain men saw their lives and never changed from that particular perspective. 
someone might say he that the person who is fat as did is a doom pillar in that certain sense and he took the doom pill after what happened with his wife who is a single mother and all the rest of these things told him that those are not his children and it was somebody else's kids and the tragedies that happened during his young life, his teenage years, especially with the prom, junior prom in particular, and what else that has happened all throughout the time. The way the cheerleader tried to blackmail this young man and a lot of things. I got a lot of inspirations for this from the stories that I've heard throughout the, well, you can call it the Manosphere and all the rest of it. Some of them are from the later years of this protagonist come from a story from Nigeria that this guy who was successful, none of his children was his. And there were others as well. The one dealing with the prom that was made up, but it's based on stories I heard from high school that have not been forgotten. Obviously, the single mother one is from most of the stories from the Manosphere about single motherhood and all the rest of it. So the story was, the ending was made ambiguous because we don't know what that building was truly was. We also know that the Buildings, the reason for the building's existence changed from the time that the protagonist went into the building to the time he died in the same building. I wonder what that building is. I have an idea, but I'm not going to tell you. A magician always tried to keep his secrets. So I hope you enjoyed that long story. But I'm going to tell you one of the re- some of the reasons why I told the story. Kevin Samuels has become extremely successful within the last several months, especially in the African-American community, called signed by Killer Mike and many others as well. And he has been on No Jumper. He'll never speak to Jason DeMarco, of course, but Jason DeMarco and Killer Mike, if in certain ways, he should be speaking to him. But then again, Adult Swim Records is different from what No Jumper tries to do in the industry. But then again, you need to read some of the things I wrote on GuruGoffit.com, especially with Adam22 and Jason DeMarco working in the same area of the rap industry. And why I know that Jason DeMarco has it and Anum is starting to get to that point where he will create something of a tsunami like product that will become successful, not only for the music industry, but for the animation industry as a whole. So it's up to Jason if he wants to continue to lead or not. And, but there were a lot of reasons they never even gave him a chance to succeed because his stories with MF Doom, as you heard, 
I haven't been on that particular site for a long uh, uh, Twitter and uh, that particular Twitter handle for a long time. So that sort of thing is going on. But Kevin Daniels has become successful. And now women are starting to understand certain things they have done are completely off the pale. And they are starting to figure out that a lot of these women are not getting it, especially as this pandemic continues, especially as the changes coming to the rest of the world also continue. Today, this part, this teachable moment is all about stats, figures, about single motherhood, single parenthood, and basically the conclusions from this story, from the stats and the figures, and the dark future that is headed towards us if things do not change. I want to start, however, with the past. The past is prelude. Have you ever heard of a concept called Coventry? I mean, Coverture, excuse me. Coverture is a concept in both British and American law that refers to a women's legal status after marriage. Upon marriage, legally, the husband and the wife are one entity. That's why he takes the name. The woman takes the last name of her husband. In essence, a separate legal existence disappeared as far as property rights and certain other rights were concerned. Under coverture, wives could not enter their own property unless specific provisions were made before the marriage take place. They could not file lawsuits or be sued separately. They could not execute contracts. The husband could use, sell, or dispose of her property again unless prior provisions were made without her permission. A woman who was subject to coverture was called a femme covert, and an unmarried woman or other woman who was able to own property and make contracts was called a femme solo. This were came from normal from medieval Norman terms. In American legal history, changes to the late 18th and 19th century began to extend women's property rights. These changes affected coverture laws. A widow was entitled, for instance, to a percentage of her husband's property after he passed away. That was a dower. And some laws required a woman's consent in the selling of property if it could affect her dower. Blackstone, in a 1765 authoritative legal text, commentaries on the laws of England, said this about coverture and the uh, legal rights of married women. By marriage, the husband and wife are one person in law. 
that is the very legal being or legal existence of the woman is suspended during the marriage or at least incorporated and consolidated into that of the husband under whose wing pretension and cover she performs everything and therefore is called a femme covert. Blackstone also stated that a husband could not grant his wife anything such as property and could not make legal arrangements with her after marriage because it would be like gifting something to oneself or making a contract with oneself. He also stated that contracts made between a future husband and wife were void upon marriage. So we continue here that to continue from what I was saying before, Prior to the marriage, a, ma a woman could freely execute a will, enter contracts, be, be sued in her own name, and give away her real estate, personal property as she wished. We already mentioned once she's married, the legal decisions in the interview as an individual was suspended under marital unity and all the rest of it. Coverture was disassembled in the United States through legislation through the state level, beginning in Mississippi in 1839 and continuing throughout the 1880s. The status of married women was a major issue for the struggle of women's suffrage. So I am just letting you know how a single woman not married had certain rights back then started to be disassembled in 1839 in Mississippi. It continued throughout the 1880s. We had the issues of feminism starting in the 1840s as coverture laws started to end. Now, question, since we're still in the past were single mothers better off in the 19th century this is an article from the bbc it's a perennial issue that every government has to grapple with whether political persuasion is the left is the welfare system too generous new research has shown that the amount of benefits given to those in need is a debate that has raged for hundreds of years. It also challenges commonly held beliefs in the poor that as centuries past were usually left to flounder, often in crushing poverty. Cambridge historian Dr. Samuel Samantha Williams has examined an early form of welfare in England and Wales called the Old English Poor Law. Under it, poor relief, as it were called, was given up by the local parishes. Looking at the plight of poor families in two best communities between 1760 and the Poor Law Amendment Act of 1834, her research reveals that a generous benefit system existed in parts of England. Payments were worked out with the average household income in neighboring working families. Lone mothers were the recipients of some of the biggest handouts, so were the elderly. Others did not fare so well. If a single pregnant mom wanted to claim poor relief before 1834, she had to go before two judicial, judicial officers and swear under the paternity of her child's 
the sworn the paternity of her child of her child's father under oath. No other proof was needed. She will then receive benefits up front and the officials will try to reclaim money back from the father. The bastardly examinations that they were called recovered the fire to play back all the childbirth expenses, the legal expenses it cost to pursue him, and the regular maintenance for the child, similar to child maintenance payments today. If the father could have never been found, the parish would support the woman. It was quite a financial undertaking as the birth of illegitimate children to errant fathers was massively widespread during this period of history, said Williams. Lone mothers could receive up to 37% of the income of neighboring working households, according to the study, which does not cover lone fathers. Extra such as fuel, clothing, rent payments contributed another 8%. But wages and average living standards were extremely low, and 45% would actually amount to very little, said historians. According to Williams, in 1834, the weekly wage of an average agricultural worker was just 9 shillings. It is the equivalent of 45 pounds and would have been just worth under 45 pounds eight today, according to the Bank of England's inflation calculator. A lone mother would get just over four shillings a week, the equivalent of 20 pence, which will be worth an estimated 19 pounds today. So while single mothers were well provided for, it is only relative to other welfare claimants of the time, says Dr. Tim Lehring, an economics historian from the London School of Economics. In real terms, they were not that better off than today. By today's standards, they will be utterly impoverished, he says. Just like modern times, welfare expenditure was a topic of fierce debate in the early 19th century. After the Poll Law Amendment in 1834, it became much harder for a single mother to claim money for her child. Identifying the father under oath was no longer enough. Women had to provide corroborative evidence. She had to be seen courting the father in order to claim child support costs, says Dr. Williams. It was pensioners who received the most generous benefits. Each case was separately judged, and if needed, they would go also receive clothes, fuel, food, medical care, and their burials will be paid for. With the extra handouts, they effectively got up to 70% of the average working household income in the area, but again, in the 1800s, it would not have amounted to much because wages were so low. It will only work out to around 35 pounds a week today. If today's pensioners got 70% of the average working household wage, it will total around 451 pounds per week. There was no set age of receiving a pension back then. It was given once deemed necessary. This pension, as we know today, did not come into place until the 1908 Pensions Act. Men were the worst off in benefits, whereas they were expected to stay at work. Income support, as we know it, is currently around 67.50 pounds a week to over 25 shillings and other benefits would have been very welcome. Instead, vagrants who wandered from job to job were frequently whipped and sent to prison on short periods if they weren't working. 
Access to poor relief were heavily gendered. Elderly women were more than twice than likely to receive support than elderly men. Looning agrees there were no support for single men in this era unless there were imbeciles, as they would have been called at the time, that is, unable to walk. This era when this is a phenomenally sexist patriarchal society where men were expected to work and support their families and women were not to be able to support their children alone. But it was also an era where strength was much more important in the labor market. Fathers who did not pay child support were pursued by local officials for payments. In some cases, they were sent to prison if they did not pay. Some of the parishes would work hard to try to recover child support payments, while others were more lax. Often it was very difficult for the father to betray his men who went to war, went to sea, or simply did not want to be found. It was very easy for a man to become invisible in large cities like London. Benefits were only given to those in dire need and was largely expected that families would take care of their dependents. Yet they claimed that you were poor and no one could to look after you, says Lunrig. Vocal members of society will name and shame those receiving relief. Each of the parents had special overseers for the poor. They will display public lists of those receiving poor relief. This was an anti-welfare measure and allowed the community to scrutinize those receiving the relief. Incomes were very low then. Their benefits were generous considering how poor society was, but by today's standards, the pensions provided would not be enough to live off. Although poor relief was given out locally, unemployment and the increasing cost of welfare in the 18th and 19th century was a national problem, said Turner. So you see that not much has changed throughout the decades, especially in Britain. Let's continue with the facts and figures. Some of those figures I'm going to insinuate. 86% of single parents in the U.S. are led by mothers. That's 86%. And we got some of the numbers here. 57% of millennial mothers are single moms. In 2017, 25% of households were headed by a single parent. In the UK in 2019, 14.9% of families or 2.9 million families were single parent families. In the UK, there were 2.4 million single mothers compared to 450,000 450, single fathers. 32% of families with children in the UK have been a single parent at some point. Moreover, 24% of households in the UK reported being single parent households. 2017, 55% of single parents in the UK had one child, 33% had two children, and 15% had three children. As of 2019, there were at least 15.76 million children living with their single mothers in the U.S. out of the 89th percentile of those single mothers that's 86% single mothers of the numbers I'm going to give you soon. In that same year, 3.23 million children were living, living with their single fathers. Continuing from there, 
to show the profile. Single fathers in the U.S. has a higher taxable income, 56,000, than of single mothers, which is 35,000. Single mothers have a higher non-work income, that's 4,879, than of single fathers, which is 13,020. 1320. However, when it comes to the total income, single dads have the upper hand $57,788 compared to single mothers, which is $40,165. One in every single month, three single mothers spend more than 50% of their income on housing. 40% of single mothers in the U.S. have jobs that offer low wages and have no pay leave. Single fathers in the U.S. has a medial average income of $40,000. The prevalence of single mothers that have lower educational attainment was the most common in the U.S., U.K., and Ireland in 2018, which is about 25%. In 2007, 45% single 45% of single parents in the U.S. had a high school diploma and 35% were of college graduates and 20% have a bachelor's degree. Single mothers at 20% and 26% of single fathers do not complete even high school. In the poverty statistics in 2000 and 2018, the rate of poverty for single mother families was about 24%. That's 25%. More Moreover, in 2018, the poverty level of black families with a single mother was 29.4%. Moreover, in 2018, 19% of Asian families with a single mother in the U.S. lived below the poverty level. There, furthermore, there were 324,000 white non-Hispanic families with a single dad living below the poverty level in 2018. 32.6% of single mothers in, are in the crisis category in terms of poverty compared to 7.4 single fathers. In addition, in 2017, 27% of solo parents were recorded as poor. Two out of three single mothers are poor and received reduced price or free meals. What are the reasons for the single parenthood? Divorce rates and teenage pregnancy rates in 2017. Families in the UK of single parents due to separation and divorce, that was 85%. 84% of parents were single due to bereavement. That's 84%. The divorce rate in the U.S. was 2.9% in 2018. Is it decreasing marriage rates? In 2018, the average marriage rate was 6.5%, a decrease from the 1990s level, which was 9.8%. The support of the legalization of single-set marriage has contributed to the increasing rates of single parenthood. In 2017, 62% of Americans supported the legalization of same-sex marriage. The number of marriages in the U.S. decreased by 100,000 between 2017 and 2018. When it comes to custody cases, 50% of custodial parents had a legal or informal single support arrangement in 2018. Only 4.35% of custodial parents received the full amount of child support due. 
44% of single mothers in the world struggled to afford food in 2019. In the U.S. especially, single mothers had trouble affording food, whereas 27% struggled to afford shelter. Countries with the highest rate of single moms who couldn't afford shelter include Lithuania, Estonia, France, the U.S., and North Macedonia. 65% of single moms in other countries struggle to put food on the table. 15% of single mothers in the U.S. have no health care. London single-parent households will cost by 2021, that's this year, over at least 2,400 pounds a year, worse off on average. 91% of single parents who live alone with children, 7% live with the child's grandparents, and 3% of those live with an adult that don't necessarily help. Grandparents who support single parents by young children, 40% by providing financial help, 27% providing cooking meals, 24% getting aloft in their car, 21% Paying gardening, decorating, hospital repair costs, 17%. Shopping for a single mom, 17%. And helping out with bills, 6%. 25% of solo parents were living with their parents in 2017. Worryingly, 20% of moms who are single at childbirth experience postpartum depression. 11.5% of single mothers who were cohabitating at childbirth experience postpartum depression. Single mothers have naturally higher odds of getting mood disorders than married mothers. On a scale of five, well, they showed the scales in different ways, but those are the numbers there. How single motherhood affects boys. Let's go through that. The single parent is the sole provider of the home a 2012 study of single parenthood in the United States and 16 other high-income countries found that U.S. single parents are the worst off of all of these countries because single parents are given little support for balancing both job and health and caregiving responsibilities. According to the New York Times article, single parents unsupported and feeling the blame. The single parent has to work long hours and still the income may not be enough to meet the needs. Boys in single-parent homes may suffer from social challenges because these homes lack the well-rounded development that intact families enjoy. Single mothers are not as adept to rearing boys as they are to raising girls because they cannot teach boys how to become a man. Single mothers may also invest less time and emotion in their sons than in their daughters, causing the boys to misbehave and act out, especially at school. Boys exhibit at-risk behaviors such as getting low grades, skipping school, or dropping out, and they often refuse to attend college or make choices that defect their ability for greater economic opportunities in the future. The study also found that boys in single-parent homes will benefit from greater parental input and having a greater number of positive home influences. Emotional effects also associated with fatherless boys. Mothers had a significant number of parent single-parent homes, and in spite of mother's efforts to be present for their sons, boy might feel incomplete, alone, and in need of a strong sense of identity. The need to belong might push them to join a group or get a sense of identity. 
In many cases, boys are likely to be influenced towards substance abuse, truancy, and crime. A single mother needs to be compassionate, patient, and supportive and actively involved in seeking activities and role models for her son to help him cope with the feelings of anger and alienation following building confusion he might experience. The sons of single parents are likely more to be predisposed to psychological disturbances. The largest study to date on the mental health of single parent children published in The Lancet in 2003 by Swedish researchers found that children of single parents and boys in particular are at greater risk of suffering mental hardships because they have to adjust to reality, their reality, which is different from those of children in two-parent households. The children need to cope, but the study also shows that they're sometimes unable to cope because of situational stress that they tend more towards depression, addiction, suicidal tendencies, and low self-esteem. Esteem. While this may be sometimes the case, 9 out of 10 teens from single-parent homes don't always suffer psychological problems serious enough for hospitalization and that better quality parenting alleviates the problem. So, I'm not done. According to this other study dealing with family courts. They show these particular studies. Many school shooters are the products of broken homes. Broken homes are leading to adolescent epidemics. The following statistics were submitted by Paul Clemens, a father in his own right who shared his compiled research. Most of the research are gender-based because there has been a strong father initiative over the last decade to get fathers back into children's lives after that may may Mono Opry standard, which is the way what it was implemented for mental health workers that the court adopted in the tender years doctrine. This is where the belief was that the mothers were better suited for parenting children, which drove gender-based bias family court policies like tender years doctrine and caused the loss of fathers in children's lives. With single mother statistics, 37.8% of single mothers are divorced, 41% are never married, and only 6.5% widows from the Brookings Institute. The strongest predictor of whether a person will end up in prison is that they were raised by a single parent. C.G. Hopper and S.S. McLaughlin, Father Absence and Youth Incarceration by the American Sociological Association back in 1998. In 1996, 70% of inmates in state's juvenile detention centers serving long sentences were arranged by single mothers. Wayhorn, while there is no substitute for parents in premise number six, 1997, the single proportion of single parent, the proportion of single parent households in the community predicts the rate of violent crime and burglary, but the community's poverty level does not source D.A. Smith and J.R. Jaguara. Social Structure and Criminal Victimization, the General Research in Crime and Delinquency back in 1988. 72% of juvenile murders and 60% of rapists come from single mother homes. How Shall We Live from Tyndale House, written by Chuck Colson, 2004. After controlling for single motherhood, the difference between black and white crime rates disappeared. From the Progressive Policy Institute, 1990, quoted by David Blankenhorn, Fathers America, confronting our most urgent social problem. This was done in 1996 by the Harper Perennial in New York City. 
growing up without a father could permanently alter the structure of the brain and produce more children who are more aggressive and angry. Children brought up by only a single mother have a higher risk of developing deviant behavior, including drug abuse, new research suggests by Dr. Gabriel Goby, McHill University, and Francis Bamlinkov Center of Addiction and Mental Health, publishing in the journal Cerebral Cortex. In a recent study by the Baltimore-based Annie Casey Foundation comparing statistics for kids report, the organization reported that in Detroit ranks number one in unmarried births in the nation's 50 largest cities. Of the 16,729 berries born in Detroit in 1977, 13,564 were black, 1,679 were white, and 817 were Hispanic. 71% of them were born to unmarried mothers. This compared to a state average of 33% and a 50-state city average of 43%. Detroit is the worst offender in our list of America's most dangerous cities thanks to a staggering rate of 1,222,000 crimes per committed 100,000. By Thanksgiving 2012, the city had surpassed the 344 homicides reported all of 2011. By December 16th, the city recorded 375 murders. Continuing, single parents make up for the third of Wisconsin's parents. The Annie Casey Foundation continues the report, and due to a, and according to a 2009 report by the U.S. Census Bureau, there are approximately 1.13. million single parents across the U.S. with single mothers outpacing single fathers fathers five to one. Two thirds of all children murdered are murdered by their mother. Girls raised without fathers are more sexually promiscuous and likely to end up divorced. 70% of teen births occurs to girls with a single mother homes. This is Reconstructing Fathers by David Lincoln, American psychologist. 86% of American teen births of out of wedlock. David Popone, The Future of Marriage in America. America has more than twice made teenage births than other developed nations. This is in 1999 by Isabel Saulhill to the House Committee of Ways and Means Subcommittee of Human Resources. There are more than 400,000 teen births annually in the U.S., most of them to unmarried mothers on welfare. This was back on way, way back when in 96, 99. The public cost of birth for teens 17 and younger is estimated at 76 $7.6 billion per year. The children are more likely to be in foster care, less likely to graduate from high school, daughters more likely to have teen births themselves, and sons more likely to be incarcerated. The University of Delaware by Saul Hoffman. 70% of dropouts and 70% of teen suicides come from single mother homes. While there are no substitute from parents from Impress, June 1997. 70% of all one-way, 70% of all juvenile delinquents, 70% of child mothers all come from single mother homes. Richard Reardon is really about sex by the Duke University Journal of Gender Law and Policy, January 1st of 2018. This is teenage statistics, the, success of father, the effects of fatherlessness. 
62% of all youth suicides, 70% of all teen pregnancies, 71% of all adolescent chemical substance abuses, 80% of all in prison inmates, and 80% of all homeless runaway children come from single mother homes. Children brought up in single mother homes are five times likely to more likely to commit suicide. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school, 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances, 14 times more likely to commit rape, 20 more times to commit to end up in prison, 32 times to run away from home. From the Village Voice, Tuck Eddy. The Journal Health Affairs reported a five-year job from the life expectancy of white females without high school diplomas, white men without high school diplomas have lost three years of life expectancy. 600,000 out of wedlock births in 1979. This is from the Heritage Foundation. Back in 1979. In 20, 2003, there were 1.5 million unwed births and less than 1% were put up for adoption. Less than 1% of all children born to never marry women were placed under adoption from 1989 to 1995. Only 4% of college graduates have illegitimate children and only 16% of college graduates get divorced compared to 46% of high school dropouts who marry in smaller numbers to begin with. The Future of the Marriage of America by David David Popino. Back in 2007, 50% of all single mothers are below the poverty line. Their children are six times more likely to be in poverty than children with married parents. 85% of homeless families are single mother families. 90% of welfare experience recipients are single mothers. Over 30% of families led by single mothers are living in poverty. There were 3 million single mothers in 1970 and 10 million in 2003. More than 1 million British children live without a father and have no adult male role models, a figure that is rising by 20,000 per year in the Manor Castle World of Sheffield, England in particular. 75% are headed by a single parent, most commonly a woman. The illegitimately rate went up to more than 3,000% in 1970 by the House Ways and Means Committee, Appendix M in 2003. The long-term health effects of broken families were often devastating. Parent parental divorce during childhood and murder is the single strongest predictor of early death in child adulthood. The grown children of divorced parents died almost five years earlier on average than children from intact families. The causes of death range from accidents to violence to cancer, heart attack, and stroke. Parental breakups remain, the authors say, among most traumatic and harmful events to children. Eighteen billion dollars all over the world are made by women all over the world. Women all over the world spend twice that amount. They spend more and what they take in. And in a strange twitch of fate, that's how 
the financial companies of the world. Well, not financial companies, but the internet companies that have become multi-billion dollar industries like Facebook, Alphabet, Alf, Apple, Twitter, in some ways. Amazon and others. Most of them haven't made a profit. YouTube hasn't made a profit. All of them have not made a profit. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it a little bit concerning that the way that women spend money, including according to Uber Facts, what they make and what they spend is similar to the concepts that these fangs handle. And isn't it ironic in the sense as we go through all the reasons why single motherhood is not a good thing? Can we reconcile the fact that they need both entities, both states of reality in our modern world, both need government assistance to get what they want. And in one sense, in the way that we handle speech in a millennial culture, the fangs have become the government or the social structure of this country and the rest of the West in particular. Before I get to what our future could be if none of this is solved, I want to read a interesting study and a summary of this study from a poster on Twitter. I'm going to try and make this as sweet as possible, short and sweet as possible, but he asked what caused the baby boomers to come to existence. Many explanations often given are economic, but the fundamental cause may be that the contraceptives fail. You heard right. The contraceptives failed. What? What are you talking about contraceptive fail? What, 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 what do you mean? You can't be serious, right? You mean the contraceptives failed? Remember, they did not give birth control. 
They did not give birth control until 1961 for married couples and 1965 for those that were not single. Are you re let's re let me repeat myself so everybody can get this clear. They did not give s married mothers, married women, the pill until 1961. They didn't give them single women the pill until 1965. The baby boom generation, according to this study done in 2013, the fundamental cause of this was because of contraceptive failure. Married couples did not want to have families as large as they were having. This is what the study states. Evidence from the U.S. suggests that this situation gave rise to the contraceptive failure during the baby boom. More specifically, using detailed survey data from contraceptive practice, practice Ryder in 1978 demonstrated that contraceptive failure largely explained the rising share of high-priority births during the baby boom in the United States. His data shows that there were no change in the number of intended births, but there was a decline in effectiveness in which unintended births were prevented. He posited two reasons for the worsening of fertility regulation during this period. First, there was an increase in the exposure to risk of unintended childbearing because the temple of reproduction accelerated. Second, as a result of the decline of age of marriage, the additional exposure was concentrated at high-risk prime-time ages in which couples were younger, sexually more active, and at their peak years of fecundity than was in Ryder from 1978 and 1979. Their peak years of fecundity is usually 16 to 25. The same for, for men is a little bit older. It's 17 to about 30-something. But there can be points that it can be a little bit longer for men, but let's keep it at 17 to 30 something, 31. In short, the sexual revolution ran ahead of the contraceptive revolution, according to Caldwell, 2004, who concluded that from this perspective, there is no great mystery about the baby boom. The young felt the need for early sexual relationships while at the same time their extramarital births nor unmarried cohabitation were tolerated. Earlier marriage was the solution, but the available contraceptive methods were not efficient. Given the appetite for marriage, increased apparent appetite for marriage, we expected that my um, rising marital fifth may have been the unintended consequence of this particular situation concerning to appetite for marriage. Let me repeat myself again and make this very short. There were too many unintended births in the baby boom generation. It was going to stay at 2%. It went to four, it two child two children, it went to three. Some wanted three children, it went to five. Some only wanted four children, it went to six. Some had 10, 
Otters had 15. The Twitter poster continues, as this expert indicates, the problem was accentuated by the decline of the average age of marriage in those Northwestern European countries west of the Hanjano line that had previously delayed it. Histories of those that are homosexual often emphasize that the war, Second World War, was a major turning point when guys realized they weren't the only ones that had feelings for other men, especially because this war was extremely uh, serious. And they were exposed to prostitutes in other major cities all around the world, especially in Australia when prostitution was legalized in other places as well. Straight guys seem to have a similar awakening, although they talked about it very less. His impression that the world changed the way young men talked about sex and what they expected out of their wives in and out of bed. Much of the boom debate could have been resolved if somebody had to go out to survey Americans year after year on how many times they were screwing. Birth control started in 1971 for married couples. For single women, it started in 1965. The war, there was a different way the silent generation handled relationships. They became more conversational, if you turn, if you can figure out in that particular sense. In 1957, we had the largest number of teen pregnancies, which then proves this particular point that was going on here. You heard of Greece. You heard of the uh, high school dropout song. Folks, the 50s, you, you're going, there are questions you need to ask yourselves about that decade that you are getting the wrong answers on. You are absolutely getting the wrong answers on. They don't want to tell you the truth. One of the things that you have to realize is that that world war exposed and the aftermath of that war, the interim years between the between the first, between the Second World War and the Korean War, and how soldiers tried to find themselves, and how soldiers thought they were going to handle certain things, and how they felt about sexuality and all the rest of these things. These are fascinating studies you need to get into. Really fascinating. But that also gives credence to his point, the Twitter handle's point, saying that it is very possible that the GIs may have felt that the, that the extra children were too much of a burden. And these particular baby boomers, these particular children who were extra, as it were, felt abandoned.
And then you had all these shotgun marriages that came about. Where things were a little bit more conservative then. It wasn't the whole thing concerning it. There was no birth control. The whole nine yards. And like I said, in 1957, we had the largest cases of teen pregnancy out there. We didn't have birth control until 1965. For single women. 1961 for married. Think about this, folks. It goes much, much deeper. There's a reason why we had to go back to the past in order to explain all this. There's a reason why Roland Tomasi talked about what took place in the past with courtly love the way they see romantic love as the only way people can have relate people have sexual relationships between men and women to reach that goal a soulmate the whole nine yards y'all ain't ready for this game folks where the majority of the baby boomers aren't wanted, and this is what happened to that fact. Could it also be, in in some cases, that this that the baby boomer generation and the political structures of that generation that certain things were breaking apart from the war onward. Concerning how men and women were being seen as that the propaganda was the was maybe a form of cope. We already had videos about these men not of these young dudes not being not go near any other older type men out there saying that this, this thing is a homosexual and all the rest of these things. We already had the uh, the reports done by CBS reports about homosexuals on the rest of these things. Could it be that this thing started breaking down long before we got the birth control? Just think about it. And only when we only and the damn couldn't hold for long. And once 1965 came around and birth control had it and the sexual revolution pushed itself into that generation and unwanted unwanted children with parents who did not want to be with each other only had a fling and all the rest of these things they somehow worked it out okay but the, it had an effect on the children in some ways Sometimes the mother left because the father was abusive. That's understandable. Sometimes she left because she felt some sort of way. We already talked about what happened in the 1970s. It was pretty, it was not easy. But then you have the birth 
birth control came in 1965, the effects of it didn't go into full effect until at least 65. There would be the 20 in 1985 for the Gen Zers there. Then you have these fed children there, so it will be like 55 to 73, and then they started growing up at that particular time. So once that birth control is over, those who were born around 52 to 1960, no, not 1960, 19, I want to put it in, in the right terms, 19, 1949 to 1960, no, not 1960, 1957, to be honest with you. From then to there, and a lot of them would have been 18 years old, they would have gotten the pill. And then from that there on, it's sexual illusion all the fuck time. And, then, and what political things that would have gone from that particular era and a lot of them were silent generation who started taking the pill too, who were of age to take that pill, the birth control pill. They were talking about it since 1973. We got videotape. The dam broke. The dam broke all over the place. Y'all gonna have to really research World War II. It was somewhat implied by Tomasi about the general Kratzy starting around the 19, around 60 years ago, right after the war. He might be more right than he can possibly imagine if this study is anywhere near close to the truth. But you heard all the stats and figures. You heard the devastation single mothers have on their children. You heard what is going on. I'm going to tell you that a lot of men have a dark future. Let me summarize it the same way I summarized the story as we end Teachable Moments 32. You are going to have a son by the time and he's 15 years old. That if this society does not change its ways about how men and women see each other, he will see a another classmate. Let's be fair, another classmate who is of the same sex as a viable sexual partner. I just want you to think about this. Whatever your beliefs are, whatever you think that things are going to go this way and the other, it does not matter. He or she will see another same sex person as a viable sexual partner partner the studies are small but there is more violence between those who are who are lesbians at that young enough age than in any other group that have any sort of relationships with each other at that age 
as they grow older, the violence is still there. Although it's much worse for heterosexual couples, let's just be fair. But outside of that, it's lesbian couples. Diseases are rampant with homosexual couples. Even though that we have prep and all the rest of these things, even though we have condom use and all the rest of it, it is still an issue. Herpes, all the rest of these things, higher with those that are homosexual. These are facts. The reason why it will be viable for him because they have the E as we continue with co-ed education, but it's not going to be fully co-ed as they continue with co-ed education, quote unquote, you're going to see guards all over the place making sure that women go one way, men go the other. They're going to promote women at all points, at all times, to the detriment of the male students in the building. Male students will be looked under a looking glass, psychologists, and all the rest of these things. They may be even be forced to give estrogen to prevent COVID-19 displacement and prevention of spreading that the virus. They might be forced to do that before they even enter school, which will cause even greater problems. We also have an issue with those that want to start estrogen and other female hormone replacement therapy before they turn the age of 18 years old. It will be accepted as it's starting now. The situation with those that do not agree with the sets they were born with, that's going to lead into some very dangerous situations at hand. Very dangerous. They already opened the boys' bathroom, but the girls' bathroom are always closed. The boys' bathroom is considered to be a danger zone. They don't even have any privacy anymore. Imagine someone who doesn't think anybody's tits, their own breast is viable. That they don't feel in their right body going into the boys' bathroom. A lot of parents fear this, but this is the future that is coming. Schooling is not going to be the same because you are going to be watched and guarded because of this COVID-19 pandemic. It will be almost market of beast time. 
that type of society is inviolable, but he will not understand any freedom. Not like it was when we were growing up. There was a little bit of left, but they started, if I recall, back in the 1990s with metal detectors. Metal detectors in the inner city schools to prevent drugs, guns, and all the rest of these things from coming in. Forget metal detectors now, it will be vaccine detection. It will be all these other things. Is it going to be viable to teach in a place where the parents are afraid to even catch anything? That their children going to behave in some sort of way? How is discipline going to be handled? Has anybody thought about these things? And a lot of these children come from single-parent homes. A lot of them come from single-parent homes. As they grow older and they get into college, there's going to be some fights about money and how they're going to be paid. How, how is this going to survive when half of the country's students who went to school many years before have their debts released because they couldn't find the job they were looking for? What happens to them and what happens to the students that do come into these schools? Well, they will be forced into putting into these job markets automatically. They will be working for their degree. And they will be set up with a job for most of their lives that they can't leave. This is part of the reason why cancel culture is a thing. They need to make sure that they, you are locked in that one place and to shut the fuck up for whatever they do. You can't own your own business. You can't do entrepreneurship. You can't do anything because you might offend some woman's feelings. That is what you're going to do. How about dating? You're going to go through all these things as they go through a prostitution paradise in this country. You're going to have to pay to date. And if you can't find a date, the government will provide you with a date. It will be mandated prostitution, state prostitution, state approved prostitution. As the state decides that Men cannot make the decisions anymore for who they can be in a relationship or not. Oh, and they're going to make this wondrous. Those that they've considered to be a little bit whacked out. You know, the people that want to have families and all the rest of these things, believe in God and death. Oh, they're going to get the worst part. They're going to get fat overweight, unkempt, nearly diabetic females to marry. Or even worse, they will get those that are bears unkept on their uncleanliness outside of being sexually 
taking care of, being sexually with the with their STIs being taken care of and all the rest of it in that type of relationship. Either or. The state already has problems with COVID-19. You think the states are going to take care of your situation concerning family formation? They already failed on that. They give these uh, single mothers money and you think they're going to survive? You're going to see them succeed? Oh, don't forget. What about health insurance? They're going to crawl back your 401ks from the time you start working to pay off the baby boomers and their pensions and the pension hole that the states will will have to get through. Oh no, you are going to pass away alone and unwanted as those that who are females in your generation and in future generations will not only have the pick of the litter even though they don't even look the part, sound the part, have the right weight for the part of any of the alpha men the elite want them to have. And the alpha men won't care because they just see pussy. It's just a 15-minute thing and not passionate and not wondrous and not all these other things. Remember, most of the men can't choose, but certain women will help men choose better than others they'll have the pick of the letter and they'll be always be promoted as great times ahead at 30 better times ahead at 40 children at 50 fourth child at 63 Disaster upon disaster upon pots upon your houses. And all of it because you didn't put your foot down. And you did not say enough. That's your dark future. Thank you for listening. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, over, over, overcast, soon on stereo for the interviews and wherever you get your radio shows. This is Nova Hollerback. We will see you guys next week for the finale. Take care. And we'll see you guys next week.